You know, this morning, before we begin, I kind of want to give you a public service announcement. Kind of want to give you a little bit of a mindset of how, where your pastor is this morning. Picture this. You're having people over, and it's your favorite meal. And you love it. And you can't wait for them to experience it. And it's not just one thing, but it's, it's all the things you're going to It's going to be the best of meals and you want everybody to experience it and enjoy it and absolutely love it. How do you respond in those moments? And you know, if you know my personality, you know that I want you to love what I love. I want you to experience what I've experienced. I can irritate you so much. Don't go to a restaurant with me. I'll order for you. I will tell you what you're supposed to eat and how you're supposed to enjoy it and how you're supposed to eat it. Especially if it's Mexican, I'll probably make your fajita for you so you don't mess it up. Because I want you to really, really enjoy it, right? But you know... I have a tendency to like maybe put too much on the plate and maybe it's like you got to try this you got to oh isn't that great and so we're going to talk about Christ alone today we're going to talk about Jesus and and I mean you know what I can't wait and of all the sermons that I always preach I want to tell you about Christ alone every week I hope I don't put too much on the plate I hope I don't get so excited that you just lose me because it's so good but this is this is what it's all about we're going to talk about Jesus We're going to talk about Christ alone and the life we have because of him. We're going to be in a couple different passages today. We're going to to start with one verse in the book of Acts, Acts 4. We're going to go to Timothy, a a pastoral epistle, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy 2 and look at a couple verses there. We're going to go to Colossians and Colossians 1, and we're going to look at a couple of verses there. And it's all going to be centered on Christ uh, and who he is and what he has done for us. So if God shows that amazing faithfulness and grace, uh, I'll try not to put too much on the plate, but I just want you to say, wow, this is unbelievable because why Jesus is unbelievable. Three of the four of my, uh, my kids, my children, are Covenant College grads. And not only did three out of the four of my children go to this beautiful little Christian college on the top of Lookout Mountain in Georgia, all my money went there as well. I'll tell you my It's not an inexpensive school. Uh, and even though you're a pastor, they give you a $1,000 discount out of a ridiculous expensive school. But, you know, it was a sacrifice that Kate and I were so willing to make, so enthusiastic to make, because we knew what teaching they would get. We knew the perspective, the platform of how they would be taught. Because the motto of Covenant College and everything they try to do is this. And everywhere you go there, you'll see this motto. uh, And the motto is, in all things, Christ preeminent. Now, I got to tell you, there's a lot of mottos that might roll off the tongue a little bit better than that one. Or some that might be maybe more uh, memorable, like for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. I like that one a lot right there, right? But in all things, Christ preeminent. And they tried to live that out. And everywhere you went, uh, you would see that motto and that motto trying to be lived for. And basically saying no matter what they do and how they do it, they want to make sure that, that Jesus has his rightful place. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the sovereign God. In all things, Christ preeminent. Well, one of the joys I had when I, when I was sending my kids there, they, they asked me to come speak at chapel. They asked me to come once. I must have stunk up the place. You know, I mean, 
sent three kids up there. I think I should get three invites. I got one, all right? But I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to go because there I had the whole student body. By the way, they had to go, right? They didn't have to listen. But I was so excited to speak to them and uh, to go up there. It was kind of nice because finally they were going to pay my way up there <laughs> to go see my kids. And they were going to put me up in one of their cottages, which I think have become condemned. They no longer have them. Um, and I remember going into the cottage. Uh, you know, you could smell it. It's a rustic-smelling cottage up on top of a mountain. It was, it was lovely. It was nice. It was quaint. Um, and as you ran into the, the restroom, they, it was an older cottage, and, and they were concerned with their plumbing and, and what, uh, you know, what could go into the toilet and what shouldn't go into the toilet. So there was a pretty long list. If you go in the bathroom and you're close to the toilet, you're going to see these are the things that put in, these are the things do not put in, right? Don't put these things in. It's not good. And the very bottom of this very elaborate, detailed list, it says, in all things, Christ preeminent. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I just had a laugh. I just like, seriously, I mean, on the things that you're going to throw into the bathroom, uh, throw into the toilet, they're even going to say there, really, in all things, Christ preeminent. Well, we got to realize no matter where we are in life and what we do, there's a point to that. In all things, we need to have Christ preeminent. Why? Because Christ alone. We're continuing our series called the Pillars of the Faith. And really, these pillars of the faith come from the Reformation. Uh, they, they weren't born in the Reformation. They were kind of rediscovered. And they have to do with our salvation. How do we get right with God? These are so important. These are pillars. Like, if we don't get these, the other stuff doesn't matter. we got to make sure that we get these things. And so out of the Reformation came this great teaching that could be boiled down into five points that are what's called these solas, these things alone. Now, these five things that are alone, they're never alone. They always go together. And we've been looking at them. We realize that salvation, how is one made right with God? Well, it's by God's grace alone. It's grace alone. And then we looked at last week, it's, it's through faith alone. So it initiates with God, it's God's grace, and it's, and it's through this incredible vehicle of, of faith, but it's in Christ alone. I mean, he is the object of our salvation. Salvation is found in Christ Jesus alone. And it's according to Scripture alone. I mean, you can find this in God's Word. You don't have to go to a pastor or a priest. Uh, it's, it's according to Scripture alone, and it's all for the glory of God alone. So we're in week three. Last week we looked at faith alone. Today we're going to look at solus Christus. So last week was sola fide. It is in Christ alone. And of all of these five solas, this is kind of like the linchpin this is the fulcrum. This is the crux. And it is, it's all through Christ alone. Why? Because Christ alone, he is the linchpin, the fulcrum, the center of the Bible alone. I mean, this is going to tell one story of one hero. The hero is not David that you hear about fighting Goliath. The hero is Jesus who fights our greatest enemy, sin and death. And it's going to be for Christ alone. So Christ alone needs to be in the center of our lives because he's in the center of the Bible. He needs to be preeminent. So I think they're right there at Covenant College in all things Christ preeminent. We're going to look at three things this morning. There's so many things to put on your plate. There's so many things to look at for this. And we're boiling it down to three. And these really came out of the Reformation as well. Christ alone needs to be our Savior. 
hit pause. Most of you in this room and probably most of you watching will say, I know that. But I think that if we dig a little deeper, if we, like, we get behind, beyond the surface of this, we're going to see what does it mean that Christ alone is our Savior? And are we living our lives that way? Christ alone is our mediator. And the word mediator here is the one between God and man. The one who is a mediator between these two parties. He alone is the one who bridges that gap. And then Christ alone is the focus of our lives. Um, this is the one that I had the hardest time coming up with the right verbiage on. And so uh, he is our savior, he's our mediator, and he should be the very focus of our lives. As I said to you, we're going to be looking at God's word in three different places this morning. We're going to start in the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 12, and then we'll skip around a little bit. So hear the word of the Lord. It might be easier for you to follow along with the words on the screen. The word of the Lord says this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name that was given among men is the name of Jesus. Let's turn to First uh, Timothy. First Timothy, uh, I actually said chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now let's turn to Colossians. Colossians 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 13. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed us, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We see there that covenant college motto. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we're going to talk about your beloved Son. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, this is, this is your job. Your job is to magnify the Son, to let us see who he is as our Savior and as our Lord. So triune God, I come and I beg for mercy that you would be pleased to speak to a broken sinner like me. Lord, it's humbling to know that no matter what is said from this pulpit, it will never be able to be enough. I don't have the words or the ability to describe the beauty, the glory, uh, the majesty of Jesus. But God, I am here for his glory alone. 
And so would you come and would you do that which only you could do? Would you use a broken vessel like me, a bruised reed, to proclaim the good news? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts that would embrace in faith by your grace your Son as our Lord and Savior that we would live for Christ alone? God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of his name because his name is above every name? And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the reality that Jesus is Lord. God, the things that are said that are merely my opinion are wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the beauty of the gospel, and the beauty of your Son in Christ alone, would you use those things, God, to make us more like Jesus? We pray in his matchless name. Amen. So we come to this incredible pillar. We see Christ alone as our Savior. And, and there's, there's a few things I want to show you with this, is Christ alone as our Savior. There's Christ alone as our Savior is the only one who's been given to us by the Father, and he also is the only one who is qualified to save us. And so let's begin with the only one given to us by the Father. Christ alone is Savior. Um, the greatest verse that probably most people know is John three sixteen and and 17, let me read this for you. For God so loved the world, be amazed at God's amazing grace of a holy God that would so love us, that he would give his only son what was most precious to him, he would give to us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Um, we are stand condemned as sinners but he, in order that he might be saved, the world might be saved through him. Christ alone is the only Savior of sinners. Why? Because he is the only one who the Father has given to us. We should never look a gift horse in the mouth, or we should never look for a Savior beyond the one that the Father himself has given to us. How arrogant would it be of us? How wrong would it be of us for us to say that Jesus is maybe a way, not the only way. That Jesus is one of the ways uh, for us to live or to have life and life abundantly. No, the God who is, the God who reigns, the God who created and sustains all things has provided us one Savior, and it happens to be his Son, Jesus. There is no other Savior for the world other than Christ alone. And I, and I want to start there because I often live my life as if I'm my own savior, that I'll make it my own way, that I'm somehow going to eschew the gift of the Father and say, no, thank you for Jesus, but I think I can do it on my own. I think I can live a life worthy on my own. How arrogant, how wrong of us to think that there's another way than the way that the Father has provided for us. And again, we live in a world that is a world that believes in all many things or all things that will say how arrogant of us Christians that would believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If this is true, and I believe it is, and if the Father gave us one Savior, his name is Jesus. And he didn't provide any other way. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, uh, what, what's your favorite um, directional 
uh, app these days. Uh, anybody use Apple Maps? God bless you, they're terrible. Does anybody use Google? That's the one on there. Does anybody use Waze and find Waze? And maybe you guys are looking for your, your uh, police that might notify you along the way. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We have probably found our favorite navigational tool. Uh, if you are printing out MapQuest, God bless you, you've lost it. You know, it's like that progressive commercial that's way too close to me that always he says, if you're here today and you've printed out directions on MapQuest, you're in the right place. I'm like, dang, that probably is me, right? But I've found out that if you put in a direction into three different things, Apple Maps, Google, or Waze, you might find different ways to get there. As a matter of fact, some of them are going to be so elaborate, they might pop up and say, well, this is the shortest, this is the one that's got tolls, this is the most scenic, or whatever you want. There's a lot of ways to get there. But that's not true when it comes to salvation and being right with God. There is one way that he, there's one direction that he has provided for us, and it's in Christ Jesus alone. The Father has given us one Savior. He is the only one. And why is he the only one? Well, he's the only one who is qualified to save us. Now, now listen, I want to tell you two things, why Jesus alone is qualified to save us. You can't miss this. For us to be saved, there's two things that have to happen for us to be saved. Now, remember, God's a holy God. I mean, God is a God who, who, who is so holy that he can't even look upon sin. So two things are going to have to happen for us to be accepted by this holy God. There has to be righteousness. There has to be right living. There has to be a law that is fulfilled, and there also has to be a sacrifice that is made against sins. And so there's only one who is qualified uh, that is qualified to save us, only one who could fulfill the requirements of God. So what are the requirements of God? Well, let me tell you, God is holy. And when he created Adam, he ended in an agreement with him. He said, Adam, I'm giving you life. I'm going to give you all of creation to enjoy in my name. I mean, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the whole earth with, with my glory. And man, do I love you as my image bearer. But here's the deal, Adam. Here's the agreement. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to maintain giving you life as long as you obey. As long as you do the right thing, Adam. And listen, you can enjoy all of this fruit in the garden. You can enjoy all these things. There's only one thing I don't want you to eat. There's only one thing I don't want you to do. And what does Adam do? He, he goes and eats it, right? So, so God's requirement to, to be with him was the requirement to, to, to do the right thing, to fulfill the requirements of God. And he made Adam with the ability to do that. But after he rebelled, we've lost the ability to do that. But God says, I'm going to send my son Jesus. And my son Jesus is going to come in the fullness of time. He's going to be born of a woman, which means this. He's going to be sinless, unlike the rest of us, because the woman, the, the virgin, is going to be with child, and he's going to be born, and he's going to be born under the law. Why does it say to us in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, that this one born of the, a woman born of the law has to come? Because he's got to fulfill the law. He has got to fulfill the requirements of God. God is never, holy God is never going to lower the bar for us to get in. He's not going to do it. God is not the God that many people think, oh, he's so merciful and good and loving, he's going to wink at our sins. He's going to say, oh, it's not a big deal. You're a lot better than your neighbor. You're a lot better than those other bad people. 
It's not a big, let me, let me lower the bar so you could step over and come in. No, God's a holy God. He says the only way you're in is that the law's got to be fulfilled. I mean, righteousness has to be accomplished. And here's the incredible thing. It's got to be accomplished by a man. So God puts on flesh. Fully God, fully man. Born under the law. Why? So that the bar of God could be fulfilled. Jesus came to do all that things that we failed to do. He is a spotless lamb of God who's the only one who could fulfill the requirements of God. Uh, and he did it perfectly. It's interesting because Scripture is going to say that God made this relationship, this covenant with Adam, obey and you will live. And when you get to the New Testament, guess what Jesus is called? He's called the second Adam. He's the one. And so let me read to you uh, what Paul writes in Romans 5, 17 and 18. For if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, grace alone, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam's trespass, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You know what this is saying? The only Savior we have is somebody who can fulfill the law of God. You and I, we can't do it. We're disqualified. But Jesus did it. He, Christ alone, not only did he fulfill the requirements, but he have to lower the bar for us. He did it. He's the one who absorbed God's wrath for breaking the law. God's grace provided a substitute. When man screwed up, God entered in another relationship. It's called a covenant of grace. He says, I'm going to provide for you one who will come who will rescue you. He will live for you, and he will die an atoning death for you. I talked about it a bit last week. There's this story when God's people were trapped in slavery and God was going to release them from slavery and bring them to the promised land. Now remember, this is not only historically true, this is going to show us what God do, does. He takes his people that are trapped in slavery, sin for us, sin and death, and, he, and he's going to set us free and he's going to lead us to the promised land. That's the whole story of the Bible, right? And so here's, here's what happens. God's going to come to his people. He's going to show the strongest power at the time, Egypt, that he alone is God. He's going to send them the plagues, and he's going to provide salvation for his people. He's going to provide for them a spotless land. He's going to say, death is coming, but instead of having death, I want you to take this spotless lamb, and I want you to, through the Passover, I want you to kill the lamb and take the blood, and I want you to put it over your doors, and death will pass you by. It's a crazy story. It's, it's more like, really, God? Yeah. You got, something's got to have to pay the price. That spotless lamb is going to do it. And you know what? I'll see the blood, and I'll pass by. And God uses that spotless lamb, uh, and his people are rescued, and he'll eventually leave the promised land. Well, you know what? We get to the New Testament, and we realize in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where Christ is our Passover lamb. And he has been sacrificed for us. That whole story pointed to him and to the reality that, that he's the only Savior. Because why? Because Jesus, who lived a perfect life, went on a Roman cross 
and he absorbed holy God's wrath for our sin, he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God is holy. He's got to burn wrath against sin. Instead of burning it against you and me, he burned it upon his son. And his son would experience the hell of a father who turns his, way, his head from him, but he'll never turn his head from us. You see, he is the only Savior because he alone could absorb the wrath of God, the true Passover lamb. He's the only one that God provided. He's the only one who fulfilled the requirements of the law, and he's the only one who could absorb the wrath of God. We can't find a Savior, Christ and Christ alone. What was happening in the Reformation? They were saying, hey, we could be saved through Christ, but we need all these other saints. We need all these other things to help us. We're such a mess that, that really, and, and we got to do it on our own as well. we got to somehow merit our own way in. And what comes out of God's word is, listen, there's only one Savior. It's not Christ plus anything. It's not Christ plus anyone, including ourselves. It's Christ and Christ alone. Provided by the Father, lived a perfect life, died the death. Christ and Christ alone is our mediator. The only one who's uniquely qualified between God and man. Why? Because he's fully God. We read that in Colossians. The fullness of deity dwelt within him. And he's also fully man. I love it, what I said. Did you notice in 1 Timothy 2.5? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. It's very interesting. It says, the man, Christ Jesus. I mean, that's just so loaded. The man, Christ Jesus. One who is fully man, yet the Messiah, yet Jesus. And Colossians 1.19 would say this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, only Jesus can bridge the the gap between God and man. Why? Because only Jesus is God and man. And God God would raise up for himself uh, throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, those who would be mediators between God and man. He he had three specific offices. He he raised up a prophet, he raised up a priest, and he raised up a king. And a prophet was somebody who reveals God's will to us. You read through scripture, prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Samuel, they will say, thus saith the Lord. Why? Because they're revealing the will of God for us. There's only one true prophet who reveals God's will to us and his word to us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Our God communicates with us. And he used these prophets to talk to, to tell us his will. But listen to this. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God wanted to tell us his love for us. He wanted to communicate with us. In the Old Testament, he used these prophets to come and say, thus saith the Lord. But he eventually sent his son. And God didn't, Jesus never had to say, thus saith the Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord. He is God. And he would communicate in a whole new way. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the way. He alone reveals to us the will of God. He alone is the priest. What did a priest do? If a prophet tells us the will of God, a priest offers up a sacrifice to God. Hebrews 2.17 says this, 
Therefore, he had, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He became a man. He put on flesh. He dwelt among us. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Hit pause. God has mercy for you. He knows your weakness. He knows what you're going through, and yet he's faithful in the service of God to make propitiation, a payment for the sins of the people. So here you have Jesus, the ultimate priest of God, who offers the sacrifice of God. And what's mind-blowing is what sacrifice does this priest of God, Jesus, offer? He is the sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb. He is the one who has offered his life for us. And because of that sacrifice, we are set free. He is the king. What was a king raised up for? To rule over God's people, to fight for them, to defend them. And Jesus is our, our king. Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15 says this, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and Lord of lords, in Christ Jesus, he is the prophet, priest, and king, the only mediator between heaven and earth. And here's what it means. In Christ Jesus, we find the Father's delight. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus was being baptized. It's like, it was like Jesus was at, a, it was like the Father was at his son's Little League game and he could no longer contain his enthusiasm. Because the Father cries out from heaven and says, that's my boy, that's my beloved son. I'm so pleased in him. I know what it's like to have beloved sons, and I know what it's like to be a father filled with joy, and I know what it's like sometimes to say, that's the one that I delight in. And there at Jesus' baptism, heaven could no longer be silent. And the father says, that's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you want to find the father's delight? Jesus alone. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have found the Father's delight. You want to know the rest of God, the rest that you know that you're okay with God? It's found in Christ alone. Only in Him can we have the Father's delight, the Father's rest, the Father's blessings. Ephesians 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in every way in Christ Jesus with all the spiritual blessings. Let me tell you, are you blessed in this life, in the life to come? The blessings of the Father only come through Jesus. He and he alone is the way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus alone is our Savior. Jesus is alone who's bridged the gap between the Father and to us as our mediator. And Christ alone should be the focus of our lives. He should be the point, the purpose, the reason we live. Christ is the purpose of our lives. Paul will say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Man, to die is gain. The purpose of my life, the goal, the overarching reason for me to live is Christ. And not Christ's life should be the presence in our lives. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Unbelievably, are you a Christian have you been set free? The life of Christ is inside of you in the Holy Spirit. The focus of our lives should be Jesus. Why? Because in Christ alone we find our rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Is your life marked with restfulness? Or is it just constant stress? 
Are you constantly stirring because of what you aren't and what you haven't done or what you have done? Or can you rest in Christ alone? Do you know the reality? He's good enough, even though we're not. That His work was sufficient enough. Have you found your rest in Christ alone? In Christ alone, we find our peace, peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, declared not guilty, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the joy of having peace with a holy God? In Christ alone, we find our life. Colossians 3.3, 3, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What this is saying to us is reality that Christ alone, He alone is Savior, He's alone the mediator, and He alone should be the focus of our lives. Our lives should be lived very Christocentrically or with a Christian, Christ-centered worldview. In all things, Christ preeminent. Let me ask you, is it true of your life? In all things, Christ preeminent? Where is he Lord over your life and where isn't he? Christ and Christ alone. Where's your hope? Is it built in Christ and Christ alone? By God's incredible grace through faith, may Christ be the center of all things. God has given to us, Jesus himself has given to us a tangible reminder that our life should have Christ alone at the center because we are saved by him alone. Let us pray. Now, Father God, thank you that you would love us enough to send us a Savior that could only, that Jesus could only do what we failed to do to live the life we failed to live, to die a death we deserve to die, to mediate, to bridge the gap between God and man, that we know that your love is for us, that you've forgiven us and we're free. God, it's all in Christ alone. God, may we be a people that are like Paul that can say, you know what? For me to live, it's Christ. In dying, I'm going to see him. It's gain. May we be people who say, the life I now live, I, I live in faith for Christ, who life reigns in me. Jesus, we're a people that forget this. We're a people that try to make ourselves our own Savior. And so I thank you that you've given us a tangible meal that reminds us of a sacrifice that was made for us, of a life that was lived for us, that Christ and Christ alone is enough for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill us again, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.